It's my uh, privilege to come before you this morning. Uh, Steve's here, but uh, he has taken the day off and he was gracious enough to allow me to take the wheel and to trust me to do that. What I'd like to do is uh, to talk with you a little bit about um, a particular uh, book in the Bible. Uh, This material comes out of actually a uh, six-week series uh, by Andy Stanley. Uh, as pastors, we're not supposed to copy other pastors or take their stuff. You know, we got to start with scratch and recreate the wheel and everything. But sometimes there's stuff that's just so good and, and you know, we don't have the time to cover everything, but I want to just share some things that come out of that material. If you want to go deeper in this, you can go online to YouTube and look up Andy Stanley, because the series is on time. Or you can go to Right Now Media if you're signed up with the, um, the uh, service that we provide for you, you can find it there as well. But uh, I'm going to attempt to compress six weeks uh, down into 30 minutes. And at the same time, I'm also going to kind of change it because his topic is about how we deal with time. But I'm going to take some of the things that are there and give a different application to them here today. Okay, the title is uh, a question, a big question. Probably the oldest question in time and most often certainly asked by philosophers is what is the meaning and purpose in life? What a grandiose topic to try and talk on for 30 minutes. But it's something that I would bet that every person here at some point in their life has asked that question about yourself in one form or another. But as we look at that, uh, I wanna uh, look at it in this context because the question actually, believe it or not, came up this week. And this may be a surprise to you, but the question came up on ESPN, the sports TV network, right? It actually came up this week. And what happened was, of course, uh, if you're a sports fan, you know that the question of the week was, will Peyton Manning retire from football? And all the time leading up to this week, Everybody was saying, well, you know, he's uh, uh, getting old. Uh, He's, uh, you know, worn out. He's not as strong as he used to be. Uh, You know, he's injured and he needs to retire. Uh, That can be said about a lot of people, a lot of us. But actually, the reality of the thing is, is that when he did on Monday, in fact, retire, and the interesting thing is, is that this all took place for him at the age of 39 years. In fact, he was 18 days short of his 40th birthday. So imagine having those things said about you at that age and of those circumstances. Okay, well, after he announces his retirement, then all the commentators are wringing their hands and they're saying, 
oh, how hard it's going to be for him to retire, and look what he's giving up, and Steve Young from you know, the, the uh, Hall of Fame uh, quarterback from the San Francisco 49ers, he says, oh, he's gonna have to give up this and this, and it's just gonna be so hard, and they agonized, and they went on and on and on about how hard it would be to retire. What they were really saying is, can Peyton Manning find meaning and purpose in life apart from football? What an interesting question that is. So the point is, is that regardless of our age, sometimes we all ask that question. So as we look at this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a book in the Bible that we seldom read, and certainly pastors never preach on this. It's a book when we come to it, we skip over. You know, it's one of those things. Or if we read it, we read through it quickly, and we're getting on to something new. The book happens to be a book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you have ever read the entire book of Ecclesiastes? Well, good for you, good for you. Did you just find that a delightful book to read? Was it encouraging to you? Was it you know, exciting? Was it uplifting to you? No, probably not. But believe it or not, it's actually considered one of what the Bible talks about wisdom books. It is a book of wisdom, godly wisdom. And the other books, of course, in addition to Ecclesiastes, uh, is the book of Job, which is another exciting book to read that's encouraging. Uh, but that's a wisdom book at the same time. Uh, and then there's Ecclesiastic and of course the book of Proverbs. We all like to read the book of Proverbs. And some of the Psalms are actually considered to be wisdom literature as well. But let's take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And what it makes it so interesting is, is that it is unique in the sense of the person that wrote it, okay? And why he wrote it. The book was written by King Solomon. And King Solomon, if you recall, uh, was the son of David. He was the third ruler in Israel. And so what happens is, is that uh, he is about to become king and God offers him that he will give him anything that he asks for. And the thing that he asked for above riches and everything else that he could possess is he asked for wisdom that he might serve and serve as king over the people of Israel. And so God responds in this way. He says from 1 Kings 3, 10 to 13, he says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you more wisdom and understanding than anyone has ever had before or will ever have again. The smartest man alive. I will also give you what you have not asked for. All your life you will have wealth and honor and more that of any other king. Wow, what a word from God. Wouldn't we all love to have that? Well, we know as we read about Solomon in scripture, we find that 
He was the wealthiest man of his time. When it talks talks about gold, he said, it said that he was given so much gold and gained so much gold, he actually received over a billion dollars a year in gold alone. And he reigned for 40 years. Imagine having that type of income statement. Amazing that he would have all of that and God would give him give that to him. He also had, believe it or not, 700 wives and 300 concubines. How in the world everybody sees that as a gift, I don't know. But uh, anyway, you know, he had you know, all these wives. And if we question that, understand that kings at that time who were very powerful, what they would do is they would make alliances with other countries and surrounding um, rulers. And every time they made a treaty, what would happen is, is that king would give uh, the other king a daughter to marry. And so in all the treaties that he had, he ends up with 700 wives. Also, he had the largest army. He, had, he was the most powerful king uh, in the world in terms of military might at that time. So as God says, he has given him everything and Included in that is is not only did he have the wealth, everything that he needed, everything he could ever want, but he had total peace. He never had to go to war in the time of his reign. And so what do you do with that type of situation? What do you do with your time? You're the smartest person, you know it all, you've got it all, you've got everything, and yet he has time on his hands. What Solomon did was, as he said, I am going to look at every aspect of life. I am going to seek to understand everything there is to understand. I am going to seek to understand the meaning and purpose of life. Wow, what a story. And so, He writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And when he starts out in the book, in the uh, second uh, verse of the first chapter, he starts out by, instead of waiting to the end of it, because he probably knew if he waited to the end of it to give his uh, statement or his thesis, that probably nobody would ever get there. So what he does is he tells us right up front what his conclusion of his investigation was. And he says these words, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Wow, do we wanna pray and just go home now after that? I mean, really, you know, that is so depressing. What in the world are we gonna, what are we getting into here? And then he says, these words in verse three, he says, what do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? What he's saying here is is that in life, we can work and we work so hard and we try and accumulate things and we try and achieve things in life. And we just, you know, after a while, it seems so 
futile. Because what we have eventually, we give up, we die, our children usually throw it away, they don't keep it. And we have, accomp- we have accumulated all these things to what end? You know, um, how many of us have one of these little things? You know, what is it? Well, it's a cell phone. What do you do with it? I use it. I call. What eventually, what do you do with it? Well, it breaks or I lose it or I drop it in the toilet or, you know, I, I throw it away, whatever. What do you do then? Well, I get another one. And I've got to have the latest and greatest cell phone, don't I? I mean, you know, we all, don't we all need a cell phone where you can actually push down on the screen and the pictures jump and flicker? I mean, don't we need that? That's what the new one does. That's the attraction. And we get new cell phones and we break cell phones and we get rid of them and we get more cell phones. To what end? I know that... Uh, You've heard me speak of my uncle that I love dearly. They helped raise me. And in his house, he had a, a very nice home, a modest home, a comfortable home. But he had uh, very nice things that they, had, he and his wife, my aunt, had been married for like 65 years, if you can believe that. And uh, anyway, they had nice uh, furniture. And I can remember growing up as a child and coming into the house and thinking, Oh, this is such a nice place. This is home. This is comfortable. And I would look at you know, everything they had, and I would think, how nice the place they had have here and such nice furniture and accommodations. But then, at the age of 90 years old, he died. And it was up to my wife and I to go and take care of his estate and settle things. And he had all this stuff and some of the things we kept, but most of the things in terms of the furniture and the, you know, the dining room table and, the, and all this stuff, we gave away. We sold the house. We gave all the furniture and possessions to other people. And in three days, everything was gone. Is that what going to happen to our things with our children when we come to that time in life? What do we gain from our labors from which we toll under the sun? And then he goes on and says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. I think I've said before that in terms of our generations, that after the third generation, you're entirely forgotten. Maybe if you invent the cure for cancer, you'll be remembered. But chances are, in three generations, you're gonna be forgotten. I'm gonna be forgotten. From generation to generation, they pass away. And then he says these words, what has been, in verse 9, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. And there is nothing new under the sun. 
Now, if you're a young person, you're thinking, oh, that is depressive. I, I don't even want to read that. Why is that even in the Bible? But if uh, you're 50 years of age or older, you're probably saying, hey, that dude's got it right. Isn't that true? The older we get, sometimes we think and we look at the material possessions and things of life and we say, you know, aren't they kind of meaningless? But then goes on and Solomon says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. And then nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them. What he's saying here is, as I observe life in the world, you know, there are good people and bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad, for bad people. Isn't it all just a matter of chance? Is there any order to life? Is there any order to these things here? I don't understand. This is all confusing. And it appears in life that this is the rule rather than the exception. But then, when he's talking about this, he says that he, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. In the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this uncertainty of life, there are things that if we look at, you know, we take a, a, just a, a quick look, we see God doing things and we're amazed by it. And how many of you, you know, we use the term, isn't this a God thing? We recognize that there are things in life that are really amazing and they could not happen except for God making it happen. When I was um, in uh, <clears throat> the <clears throat> law, going into the law practice that I was initially started in, had a friend who come to, came to me, and I've told some of you this story, but I had somebody come to me and say, Neil, I think that the Lord is telling me that in six months you're going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, and you're not going to be alone. And I said, oh, that's nice, thank you. I appreciate that. And so, you know, what do you do with those things? Well, you kind of stick them in your hip pocket, and you say, if it happens, that's great. Let's see what the Lord does with that. And so when what happened was is that Eventually, this attorney I was with, he came to me and he, and he said to me, he says, uh, I would like to have you come down to Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going to be down there and we're working with another firm and uh, there's work for you to do. Will you come down for two weeks and will you uh, work down there? And I said, hey, that's great. Atlanta, that's a great place to, to be, to hang out. Uh, I'm you know, young, single, that's nice. Uh, and uh, so I went down to Atlanta, Georgia. And while I was there, this woman, the wife of one of the attorneys in the firm, called me up and said, hey, Neil, uh, would you be interested in going out with a good-looking woman? 
And I said, I am always interested in going out with a good looking woman. <laughs> and so she uh, set me up uh, on this blind date to go out to dinner with this young lady. And this lady worked for the Billy Graham Association and she was there for the year because they were setting up Graham's crusade for the Atlanta stadium. And after our dinner, she had a pass and we went out on Fulton County uh, to the uh, football field out there, the stadium. And we were out in the field and they were setting up and I was walking around. And I came up and I was standing on the pitcher's mound, okay? I was looking out at all the lights and I was thanking the Lord because that day uh, the attorneys had come to me and said, Neil, we have so much work for you to do. We would like for you to move down here permanently. And the best I could recall was that it was six months to the day that that person had come to me and said that I would be in Atlanta, Georgia and also that I would not be alone. And as it turned out, the girl I had the date with is my wife. That is a God thing. That's where we see in life how God works sometimes in our midst. There's no way it could happen by accident. It has to be a God thing. And so he says, there are things that God has done that uh, only he could do. And then he says, um, and he has made everything beautiful in his time. And then he says one other thing. He says, it has also set eternity into in the human heart. God has given every one of us a sense and understanding that there has got to be more to life than this. That our lives are much more than being born, growing up, going to school, getting married, starting a career, having children, uh, retiring, going out and play golf and dying. There's more to life than that. He has more than that. And he has a plan for us for eternity here and he has set it in our hearts. In fact, Solomon even implies that the turmoil of life and all that occurs and the frustration is something else that drives us to look beyond life itself, to look for meaning and purpose beyond what we experience right here today and now. There has got to be more than just what we experience now. He says, also, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. What is it? is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. What that means is within even all the injustice in the world, there's gonna come a time when God will make all things right. 
Every conflict, every struggle we've had in life, every turmoil, every loss we've had, every pain we have had in life, God will make it right. But what has Solomon been saying all along? He says, everything is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless under the sun. How do these two things fit together? The key to the book is the words under the sun. Under the sun. Those words appear 29 times in the whole book because he says, this is meaningless under the sun. This is lousy under the sun. This is turmoil under the sun. This is confusion under the sun. This is how terrible things are under the sun. What he's saying is, is if all we look at is everything that occurs just day to day as it occurs under the sun and we don't look beyond the sun to God and what's on the other side, then life is really meaningless. He says the key to it all here is two things. One, and the text says fear God, but what that really means is, is he's saying, uh, not in terms of fear, like, ooh, I'm afraid of God, you know, he's going to hit me. No. What that is, what that means is, is that I respect God. I marvel at God and who he is. God is wondrous. God is fantastic. And I fall before him in wonder, in worship. And I seek him and I seek his face. That's what it means to respect or fear God. And he calls us to come to that point in life where we genuinely seek after him. We seek to be in a relationship with him. We seek to know him. We seek to understand him. We seek to be with him. And he says one more thing. Oh, by the way, keep his commandments. Live your life to your ability in life. We can't be perfect. But seek to follow his words. Seek to follow his right and seek his righteousness. Seek to obey his commandments. Because when we do, we find that life is a whole lot different our relationship with God is a whole lot different. God rewards us. God comes into our life. God becomes real in our life. God changes us. We begin to see God's plan. We begin to see our meaning and purpose in life. And you say, Yes, Pastor, I know, but um, I, I do. I seek to worship God. I, I seek to keep his commandments, you know. But 
I'm struggling financially. I think I'm going to get fired. I think I'm going to get laid off. My boss doesn't like me. Solomon says, love God, follow his commandments. Yeah, I know, but my wife and I are in such turmoil. She's about ready to leave me. She's going to take the kids. She's going to clean out my bank account. Seek God and keep his commandments. Yes, God, but I have cancer. I have illness. I have heartache. My, child, my children are at odds with me. I've tried to do those things. Solomon says, seek God and keep his commandments. Regardless of what's going on around us, he says to us, seek him. God will make it right. God will do it. Scripture talks time and again about God and his relationship with the righteous. As we seek to love him, as we seek to serve him, as we seek to do what is right in his eyes, not our eyes, but his eyes, God will show us what our meaning and purpose in life is. If you're a young person and you're in college or school right now, I'm going to suggest this to you or tell you to do this. Morning and night, you pray, God, show me what your meaning and purpose is for me and my life. I'm going to use Andy Stanley's words here because what he's saying here is, You have the chance at that age to do it right the first time. Those of us now who are up in years, we've been there. We wish we had done that when we were your age. If you're a single person and you would love to be married in a relationship, that's great. That's wonderful. But at the same time, recognize that your whole life and your meaning and purpose in life will not necessarily be found in a relationship with somebody else. Seek God. Seek to keep his commandments. Let God work things out for you. Let God provide for you. If you're a person who's an empty nester, and your kids have moved out, and you put your whole life and all your world in your children, and all of a sudden they're gone, and you're saying, what do I do? I got all this time on my hands. Don't you wish you had it when the kids were around? But what do I do? Seek God. Seek to keep his commandments and seek to understand and hear what God is calling you to. If you're retired, you know, I love golf, but don't spend your life on the golf course. You want something to do, call me here at the church. Yeah, there are people here that, (laughs) a lot of things (laughs) that we can involve you in in terms of ministry and work that are fulfilling for you. 
seek God, keep his commandments, worship him. He is a God who loves you, who has a plan for you, who has meaning and purpose in life for you that's found only in him. Amen.